Amen. Well, good morning, City Light. Y'all, y'all aren't awake. Let's, let, let's try this again. Maybe my mic wasn't on. Sorry. Good morning, City Light. There you are, you and your beautiful faces and your voices. I've had a sore throat all weekend, so just pray. I get through this sermon, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I love to follow Jesus with you guys. It's a joy and a blessing for me. I still remember when I first started following Jesus. I was six years old, and I happened to be listening in on a conversation where my brother asked my mom about the topic of hell. And my mom knew her Bible, and she was just teaching him the basics of what the Bible said about hell. It's hot. It's horrible. Everlasting torture away from the goodness of God. And me and my brother were like, that sounds terrible. We don't want to go there. And mom said, well, the good news is that you don't have to. God made a way through his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins. And all who turn to Jesus in faith get to spend forever with him in heaven. And my brother and I like, sign us up for that. And right then in there, we prayed a prayer after mom to give our lives to Jesus, and we started following him. That was my experience. Do you remember your experience when you first started following Jesus? Maybe it was a marked moment, or maybe it was like a gradual warming of your heart or growing interest in Jesus. Maybe it was because a friend invited you to church, or you had a dream with Jesus in it, or you read a Bible in the drawer in the hotel room, right? We all have diverse stories of coming to Jesus, and they're amazing. They are our experiences, our stories. But as we know, there's always two sides to every story. And this morning, we're going to walk through a passage in Romans chapter 8 that highlights God's side of our salvation stories. Like my story, my experience was being six years old and listening in to a Bible discussion between mom and my big brother. But what about God? Like, where was God in that story? Where was God before that moment, in that moment, after that moment? Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30, tell us the story of salvation from God's point of view. It's all about God's action and God's work. So we're going to walk through five links in a golden, eternal, unbroken chain of God's committed and devoted work for us to bring us to relationship with him. Those five links are God foreknew us, God predestined us, God called us, God justified us, and God glorified us. Now, before we walk through those five links and the eternal golden chain of God's work on our behalf, let me just acknowledge that in those words on that screen, there are some really loaded words. And these words have been debated for 2,000 years ever since we got these scriptures. And this one sermon, just so you know, isn't going to answer all of our questions. Also, you just got to know that in Romans 8, 29 and 30, though it radically emphasizes God's work and God's role in our salvation, that doesn't mean we are mere 
puppets or passive in the process. No, our will and our choices, they matter. Our will and our choices matter in our coming to Jesus. And if you want to learn more about how our will and our choices matter, like you could go read the book of Acts and just take note of the countless decisions that God's people make. Or Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 where the apostle Paul says that he counts, he reckons, he decides all things as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Or just the countless commands in the New Testament that are given to us and God expects a genuine real response from us. But this morning, this passage is all about God. His work on our behalf for our salvation to empower our genuine and real response to him. It's all about God, all right? So let's dive in to the golden chain. The first link, the golden link in this unbroken chain is God foreknew us. Okay, God foreknew us. Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. God foreknew us. In the late 1990s, which just so happens to be like the best time period in history for both fashion and country music, just so you know, um, there also was a really popular TV show called Early Edition. In Early Edition, the main character, Gary Hobson, he would receive tomorrow's newspaper today. He'd get the headlines a day early and then he'd like rush to respond, right? To make sure the terrible things didn't happen or to make sure the really good things did actually happen. And it was a fascinating show that kind of explored and highlighted what it might be like if a human had four knowledge. The word foreknew here in Romans chapter 8 does not mean that, like you might see in early edition. For God to foreknow doesn't mean he gets tomorrow's newspaper today and then responds accordingly. God's foreknowledge doesn't mean he had mere advanced knowledge of who would become a Christian, who might not become a Christian, and then he responded accordingly. God's foreknowledge isn't mere awareness. God's foreknowledge is a causative knowing of his people in which he sets his heart and his mind and his actions on his people to bring them into relationship with him. Now, there was a lot of words in that sentence. So let me say it again and give it to you in two or three sentences. God's foreknowledge is a causative knowing. It makes things happen. What does it make happen? It is God setting his heart and his mind and his actions on his people to bring them into relationship with him. This knowing in Romans chapter 8 is a knowing that happens in covenant. Now let me try to explain that with some other Bible verses. In Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. That knowing wasn't just Adam learning some facts about Eve, right? Like he knew her. That knowing was in the covenant of marriage. And that knowing caused something to happen. In this case, it was the creation of a child. 
Amos chapter 3 verse 2, in that minor prophet, God says to his people, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. God is telling his people, listen, I have an awareness of all peoples on the planet, but you, my chosen, precious people whom I have covenanted with, you I have known. I know you in such a way that I set my heart and my mind and my actions on you to bring you into relationship with me. And that's the knowing that Romans chapter 8 is talking about. One more example from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 3. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. So if I can look at my life and honestly say, I love God, that's because God pre-knew, foreknew me. God's foreknowing, his pre-knowing of me prompted my loving of him. So when Romans 8 says that God foreknew us, it's saying that God set his heart and mind and affections, his um, actions on us in such a way to bring us into relationship with him. Now, every illustration breaks down at some point, but if you want a decent example of what this might be like, all you got to do is look to that epic movie, The Princess Bride, okay? <laughs> Wesley is the farmhand, right? And he loves taking care of Buttercup. Your wish is my command, whatever you need, right? But then they kind of grow up and Wesley has to go away and make some money so that he can come back and provide for Buttercup and marry Buttercup. But while he's away, Buttercup gets betrothed to evil Prince Humperdinck, you know? But Wesley already knew Buttercup. Wesley had already set his heart, his mind, and his actions on Buttercup to bring her into covenant with him. Therefore, Wesley was willing to go through sword fights in the fire swamp, in battling Andre the Giant, or testing poisonous cups, or torture, or whatever the next obstacle was. City Light foreknew is a word of committed love from God for you. Before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eyes. Before the world was created in eternity past, God knew you in such a way that he set his heart on you. And he set his mind, his thoughts on you. And then he set his actions on you to bring you into relationship with him. God foreknew us. That's the first link in the golden chain. Now, the second one. Not controversial at all, right? God predestined us. Romans 8 verse 29, again, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. God predestined us. In other words, when God sets his heart, mind, and actions on us to bring us into relationship with him, it is for a pre-planned purpose. God, he's not like a middle school boy who has a crush on a girl. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, middle school boy has a crush on a girl, thinks it's all about her. So he asks his buddy to talk to her friend to ask her, hey, do you like me? She says, yes. 
back through the train, right? But then she says, yes, he hasn't really talked to her much. He just knows that he set his heart on her. But then he doesn't know how to talk to her. Where does he take the conversation? He doesn't have a car to go out on a date with her or drive her anywhere. And so after a few weeks, they haven't really talked. And so then he talks to his buddy again, who talks to her friend, who asks her, hey, do you still maybe like me? Because I think maybe I might still like you. And the relationship just kind of stalls out, right? God is not like that. When God sets his heart and his mind and his affections on his people, he already has a roadmap for the relationship. He already has a plan, a destination for where he wants to take that relationship. Both the fact and the process of our relationship with God was pre-planned by God. As Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. God has a pre-planned goal for our relationship with him. What is that goal? Romans chapter 8 verse 29 answers. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. The destination God prepared for us is for us to become more like Jesus. That means that every part of your life works together to help you think more like Jesus and feel more like Jesus and act more like Jesus. To really, truly, from the inside out, be transformed to become more like Jesus. The suffering in our life, as painful as it might be, God uses to help us become more like Jesus. And like our doubts and our delights, our good days and our bad days, even our sin struggles and our triumphs over sin. God uses all of that to bring us to the pre-planned destination in our relationship with God. That is for us to become more like Jesus. And again, hear this. This is amazing. God planned all of this before you were ever that twinkle in your parents' eyes, before you were ever born. Psalm 139 says, Your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. In your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is staggering, guys. The days of your lives, every single one of them, was formed for you so that you would be conformed into the image of Christ. That is predestination. It is not about a lucky God-picked-me lottery. It's not the Trinity playing eeny, meeny, miny, mo in eternity past. It's not a divine roll of the dice or duck, duck, goose. Predestination is God setting his heart and mind and actions on his people to bring them into relationships so that we might become more and more like Jesus. It is our days being formed for us so that we can be conformed into Christ. Maybe in the simplest of words, just hear this. City Light, God has a plan for you. 
And that plan includes all the dirt and the details, the happiness, the sadness, the easy, the hard parts of your life working together to make us more like Jesus. God foreknew us and God predestined us. Now, third link in the golden chain is this. God called us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It says, those whom he predestined, he also called. Now, God foreknew us and God predestined us before we were born. Really, before the world ever existed. But God called us in real life, like in real time. It's still God's work, God's action on our behalf, but we get to see it play out. We get to see it happen. God called us. Now, I think this word called has lost some of its meaning in the last, I don't know, eight to 15 years with the advent of smartphones, because let's be honest, whoever actually makes a call anymore? <laughs> Whoever actually answers a call anymore? If you've ever tried to call me, you know it ain't me, right? Like if I'm pulling out my phone, it's not to make a call. It is to send a text or check the ESPN app, which, praise the Lord, yesterday I checked it and the Hawkeyes won. I'll take it. <laughs> or it's to check the weather, you know? But it's not to actually make a call. I rarely answer calls. I rarely make calls. So what does it mean that God called us? It is more like a gracious wooing, a drawing to him in real life events God brings us to himself. So in eternity past, God sets his heart, his mind, his actions on us, and that's for a pre-planned purpose for us to become more like Jesus. Now with God calling us, it happens in real life. He enacts those plans. He brings them about to woo us, to draw us, to win us to himself. And the call of God, it can come in countless different ways. Like for me, God called me when I was listening in, overhearing a conversation between mom and my brother about the Bible. For Pastor Nick, it was when his middle school youth pastor was talking about baptism and Nick was drawn in. For um, my friend Heather, uh, this was an awesome call of God here. It was when she met her future husband, Dan, on Match.com. She found a hunk of a man on Match.com and God was calling her, right? For Aubrey, it was when she saw her parents both go through a divorce but then watched them get restored and their marriage fully restored because of Jesus. And she said, I see that change. I know God is real. For Samantha, it was because a friend taught her to study the Bible for herself. And then she started doing it for my wife. It was the grace of God through the heartache of childhood. She felt the guilt of her sin and yet found Jesus infinitely gracious towards her. For my friend Mike, it was watching Christian movies online. For Augustine of Hippo, Africa, at the turn of the 5th century, 1,500 years ago, it was a very simple song sung by a child next door. Augustine, one of the most famous theologians ever, he wrote, Suddenly, a voice reaches my ears from a nearby house. It is the voice of a child, and in a kind of sing-song, the words are constantly repeated. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. And so Augustine took up the Bible and he read it and he came to faith in Jesus. Can I ask, how did God call you? 
How did God woo and draw you to himself? Do you remember when you were first interested in Jesus? When maybe finally you accepted that friend's invitation to come to church? Or when what the youth pastor was saying, it clicked and it made sense to you. Or when your life flashed in front of your eyes in a traumatic event and you realize, I need Jesus. Or maybe your hard questions about evil and suffering and the existence of God, they got answered. Whenever sin was seen for how ugly it really is and Jesus is seen for how beautiful he really is. All of that, those moments, that process, that is God calling you to himself. And for some of you, God might be doing that right now. You're in it real time, real life. And if that's you, let me encourage you, lean into the call of God. If you're suddenly going, I'm kind of interested in Jesus, or you have a newfound like hunger and desire to read the Bible, or you're asking difficult questions about God that you've never been interested in or asked before, or there's that friend at work who keeps inviting you to church and you finally showed up this morning, right? Whatever it might be, that is God calling you, wooing you to himself. Let me encourage you, lean in and let God call you. Where does that take you? It takes you to the next, the fourth link in the golden chain of God's work for us and our salvation. So God foreknew us, God predestined us, God called us. And fourthly, God justified us. God justified us. It says that those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. God justified us. In other words, God took the objects of his love, sinful us, right? Broken deep down into our course. God took us, rebellious as we might be, guilty as charged, sentenced to hell. God took the sinful objects of his love and he made us right. He made us good. So just make this, or actually, I want want to get these Bible verses to you. Examples of this. Romans 3 verse 24 says, We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 4 verse 5 describes God as him who justified the ungodly. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, We have now been justified by his blood. Romans 8 verse 33 says, It is God who justifies. Nothing we did, nothing that we earned. It's God who justifies us. His blood, his work, his power, his goodness. So let me encourage you, make this personal city light. Use your God-given, spirit-filled imagination, and I want you to picture yourself standing before God's throne. There you are, standing before God's throne, and you know you're a sinner. You know the ways you've messed up. You know your rebellion, your secret sins, your dirty thoughts. You're a sinner, but yet there you are before the throne of God, and God looks you in the eye. And with all the authority and the power and the justice of a good judge, God says, hey, I foreknew you. I set my heart and my mind and my actions on you to bring you into relationship with me. And I did that because I have a plan. 
I have a plan for you to become more and more like Jesus. And then in your real life, I've been calling you, wooing you to myself. And you jump and you say, God, I know. I know you did that, God, but, but I'm a sinner. I don't deserve that kind of love. I don't deserve a love story that is that good. I don't deserve a love story that is that true. God, I know you did all that, but I'm a sinner. You can't love me. And God, the judge, speaks back to me and he says, no, I have justified you. I have made you right and good through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I have forgiven your sins. I have cleansed you and made you totally pure. Look around, child. Do you see your sins anywhere? I don't see them. Your sins got buried with Jesus in the grave and they were left there. All I see, child, is you, good and pure in Jesus. All I see, child, is you, right and clean in Jesus. I have justified you. And so now we can be in relationship with him. Okay, the fifth and final link in this golden, unbroken, eternal chain is this. God glorified us. Doesn't that sound strange? God glorified us? But it's there, right? And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I kind of want to get like a one-on-one -on -one meeting with God here and tell him, uh, excuse me, God, aren't I supposed to glorify you? And I imagine God would speak back to me with dozens, dozens of Bible verses in which he would say, yes, that's true, Doug. I foreknew you and I predestined you and I called you to myself and I justified you so that you would glorify me. But Doug, let me speak into this a little bit. The plan and the pathways for how you glorify me, I set those. And one of the ways you glorify me is by letting me make you glorious. And I'd probably keep talking to God because I'd still have questions. I'd say, okay, that's awesome, God. Sounds amazing. But Romans chapter 8 verse 30 says you glorified me. Like, that's past tense, God. And you and I both know that hasn't happened yet. And I imagine God might speak back to me and he'd say, Doug, consider all that I have already done for you. In eternity past, I foreknew you by setting my heart and my mind and my actions on you. And I predestined you. I brought you into relationship with me so that you could become more and more and more like Jesus. And then in real life, I called you. I won you. I wooed you to myself. And I even justified you by the sacrifice of my son, Jesus. His blood applied to you to make you right and good. I've done all that, Doug. I've done all that. And if I've done all that, then you can know for certain, I will glorify you. So much so that I put it in past tense in my Bible. It's that certain. It's not a typo. It's not a grammatical error. It is an eternal reality. In City Light, if your faith is in Jesus, then it is absolutely, eternally, truly, fully, and completely true of you as well. God glorified you. In other words, quite literally, you will be glorious. 
you, <laughs> this is, I, it's hard for me to say it because I can't hardly believe it for myself. You will be breathtaking. You will be marvelous. First John 3 verse 2 says that when he, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When Jesus returns, guys, listen to this, when he fully appears, when he is fully revealed, we will get to see him. And when we see him, we will become like him. You will be glorious. You will be breathtaking to behold. You will be marvelous. Now, I know, I get it, I know. We don't quite feel that way now. Our real world experience right now is a lot more like 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which says, And we all, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. I mean, we're looking at Jesus, sure, right? We're reading our Bibles to see Jesus. We're praying to encounter Jesus and hear from Jesus. We're looking at Jesus, but man, it feels like just one little degree of glory to the next sometimes. And sometimes that one degree of glory growth goes so slow, we don't even recognize it. Parents, it's like looking at, that, um, looking at your children day by day, and it's like, are they growing? But then you see their annual school pictures, and you're like, they've changed a lot. Sometimes we live in the reality of just one degree of growth at a time, and we're like, am I really changing? Am I really becoming glorious? It can go missed or unnoticed, but City Light, hear this. It's happening. You are being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus. Right now, it's just a day. It's just one little degree at a time, but the day is coming. Take heart, City Light. Lean into this. The day is coming when Jesus will appear and we'll get to see him for all that he is. And when we see him for all that he is, we will become like him. We will be glorified. You, gosh, hear this. I'm repeating it. You will be glorious. You will be absolutely breathtaking. You will be marvelous to behold in the whole world waiting for it. All of creation is looking for it. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 19 where it says, For the creation, okay, the creation, trees, mountains, tigers, lions, panthers, pandas, men and women, old and young, cornfields, rivers, clouds, planets, galaxies, all of creation. Here's what they're doing. They wait with eager longing. Imagine creation on its tippy toes. It's looking in, getting ready for this moment, waiting with eager longing for the revealing of what? The sons, plural, waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation waits eagerly for you and me, the sons of God, 
And just so you know, ladies, that includes you. In Roman culture, it was only the sons who got any of the privileges and any of the inheritance. So here, what Paul is actually doing is he's calling all of you ladies sons. He's telling all of you ladies, you get the full rights. You get the full inheritance. You're fully included in what God's going to do. So he's saying all of us, sons and daughters, men and women, brothers and sisters, creation's waiting for us to be really revealed, truly revealed. And we would expect that it might say the revealing of the Son of God, right? Isn't that what you would expect it to say? But God is such a passionate lover and such a generous Father and such a sacrificial Savior that not only is He glorious, but He shares His glory with His children. And so all of creation's longing eagerly to see just how glorious God is when he shares his glory with all of us. Again, you will be glorious. You will be breathtaking. You will be marvelous to behold. And how do we know that? Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, not a single one of his people is lost. Not a single one of us falls through the cracks and gets forgotten. The golden, eternal, unbroken chain of God's work for our salvation holds strong now and forever. Would you pray with me? Oh, help us, Father, to see your work on our behalf. Help us to see it as your love your committed covenant love for us. Would you come even now through your Holy Spirit, Father, and would you pour the love that you have for us into our hearts? I know this morning there is a lot of education, information, vocabulary words, theological vocabulary words. And so I'm asking you, Father, would you come through your Spirit and apply it to our hearts? I pray right now for those in the room or tuned in online who would say, I think God's calling me. I think God's using this Roman eight, Romans 8 series to woo me to himself. He's showing me I'm a sinner. And he's showing me that he justifies me through the blood of his son, Jesus. So Father, I pray for those you are calling even now. May they lean into that call and say yes to Jesus. Oh God, work in their hearts to bring them to faith in Jesus, repentance, turning from their sins and turning fully and completely to Jesus. God, you've promised you will justify them. Not only that, you will glorify them. And then Father, I pray for those of us who, man, we're in that stage between justified and glorified. And there's times when the suffering just adds up. And we wonder, God, are you going to get us there? Are we going to make it? Or maybe it's we just feel surrounded by our sin or we went back to that addiction. We feel like the Paul of Romans chapter 7. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? God, are you going to give up on me? 
God, are you going to forget me? So, Father, I pray for anyone who might be asking those questions. Would they lean into Romans 8, 29 and 30? And may they know that you are the God who loves them so much that you foreknew them. You predestined them. You called them and justified them, and you will not turn your back on them now. As Philippians 1 verse 6 says, you who started a good work in them, you're not going to give up. You're going to bring it to completion even on the day of Christ Jesus. So God, would you take us there? Would you keep forming and shaping us into image, into the image of Jesus even one degree, one little day at a time? And at the same time, would you give us hope for when we get there and we get to see Jesus and boom, in an instant, we're glorified. Come Lord and give us that level of hope. Would you do it? We pray in Jesus' good name, amen.